Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our second reading for this weekend, taken from the second chapter of the letter of James, addresses an issue which has deeply divided and continues to divide Christians in the West. I'm talking about the question of the relation between faith and works. You know, I'm sure, how this problem was absolutely central to the life and work of Martin Luther, the anguished young Augustinian monk at the beginning of the 16th century, who was trying as hard as he could to assure himself of salvation. How? By doing all the good things that monks were supposed to do, Mass, confession, pious practices, works of charity, etc. But young man Luther found that the harder he tried, the less certain he became of his salvation. He would often confess his sins in infinite detail, receive absolution, but then return in a few moments to the confessional, convinced he was overlooking something. His famous line, if ever a monk was saved by monkishness, I was that monk. He was trying. He was on the path of righteous works to assure himself of salvation. One day, sometime probably in 1515 or 1516, Luther had an experience that changed his own life and eventually changed the world. While anguishing, as was his want, over his salvation, a familiar text hit him with new power. That text was Paul to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 17. The just man shall live by faith. Now, Luther had been lecturing on Paul, so he knew that text well, but on this particular occasion, it leapt off the page. It was like a revelation to Luther. The key to salvation is not works, not monkishness, but faith. Not the accomplishments of the pious, but the simple confidence of the sinner in God who offers us grace in Jesus Christ. This insight gave Luther the certitude and peace that he had longed for. Now, once Luther grasped this, he began to find the principle everywhere in Scripture, especially in Paul. And it's hard to deny there are many biblical texts that seem to support this uh, Lutheran reading. Armed with this insight, Luther gave rise to the Reformation. And there's no denying the power of what he intuited. If it were simply a minor point off on the side of the theological conversation, it would never have caught fire the way it did. 
listen to this to this day to evangelical Protestant preachers making the same point. Listen to Billy Graham. Listen to Jimmy Swagger. Listen to the preachers today. It's this central insight of Luther that they are continuing to preach. Now, having said all that, there are certain very clear texts in the New Testament that contradict Luther. And to be honest, the great reformer knew it. Some of these texts were found in the letter of James that we're reading. About as explicitly as he could, James indicated that salvation was not a matter of faith alone, and that good works were essential to the well-being that God wanted his people to have. And see, that's what salvation means, isn't it? Salus in Latin means health. Our word salve is related to that. Salvation is health, spiritual health. Well, James, again, pretty clearly indicates it's not a matter of faith alone, but of good works as well. So, listen now to our reading for today, and here are some of these relevant passages. My brothers, James says, what good is it to profess faith without practicing it? Such faith has no power to save one, has it? And there's that operative word, isn't it? To save one, to make one healthy in the presence of God. Again, this is from James. So it is with the faith that does nothing in practice. It is thoroughly lifeless. Whenever I read the letter of James, I'm reminded of an ecumenical conversation between some leading Protestant theologians and some leading Catholic theologians. And the great um, Avery Dulles, who at the end of his life became a cardinal of the church, was present. And Dulles, you know, was very devoted to the ecumenical conversation, knew the 16th century debates very well. And um, they were going back to this question of justification by grace and faith or works and how to understand all that. And Dulles rose. He was a very tall man, very Lincoln-esque. He rose, and with a kind of a twinkle in his eye, he said, well, the only time justification by faith alone is mentioned in the Bible, it's explicitly condemned. And uh, he said it, you know, kind of playfully. But he was referring to this text from the letter of James. Well, what do we make of this old and famous controversy? Well, friends, here's the thing. I think first we have to give Luther his full due. As I say, there's no way that the Protestant movement would have taken off so powerfully and endured so long and beguiled so many great spirits if there was nothing to its central claim. You see, I'm driving it. Beginning with Luther, going up through Calvin, figures like John Wesley go into, um, into the 19th century in our country and some of the really great figures in uh, the abolitionist movement and so on, uh, come up into the 20th century, the Karl Barths and so on. These are really great figures. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach or an Albert Schweitzer. Think of the great figures who were deeply moved by Luther's insight. There's no way this would have lasted so long and grabbed the attention of such weighty figures if there was nothing to it. Indeed, Thomas Aquinas, the greatest of the Catholic theologians, says, that faith is the door to the spiritual life. 
It's the sine qua non of a relationship with God. And this is so important to stress. Faith does come first. And now it's what I've preached many times as the biblical principle of the primacy of grace. God's activity and initiative always come first. And our response, whatever that is, always follows. It's a response, quite literally. The moment we find ourselves in the position of bargaining, earning, deserving, compelling God to act, we are ipso facto in a wrong attitude toward God. And you can see it now in people's lives. That's where they get off the beam spiritually. When you start playing that game, spiritual life begins with my efforts, begins with my accomplishments. Look at what I've done. I'm going to compel God to love me, to reward me. You're ipso facto in a wrong relationship to God. Even press it metaphysically. I mentioned Thomas Aquinas, for whom metaphysics was so important. The one thing we can't do is move God. We don't change God. We don't manipulate God. Even in principle, you can't do it. And therefore, when you're in that position spiritually, you're in a bad position. And indeed now, the Council of Trent, which I've taught now for many years up here at the seminary, I've taught a course in the Reformation, and we read the Council of Trent very seriously. Trent is the Catholic Church's official reaction to the Reformation. But Trent rather vigorously nods toward Luther when it says that no one can earn or merit justification. All must begin with the divine grace and with that grateful acquiescence to grace that we call faith. Without this, as St. Paul said, and Aquinas would agree with him, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. And so, yes, absolutely, the primacy of faith. But friends, here's the difference. The Catholic Church balks at the Protestant principle of sola fide, by faith alone. For it acknowledges that God desires that the justification or salvation, which necessarily begins in faith, grows and comes to fullness through love. Now see, it has to be this way. For love is what God is. If faith is the opening of the door, and indeed that's right, that's Aquinas, it's the opening of the door to the spiritual life. Without it, you can't get in. That's right. But then love is living in the house. <laughs> Does that make sense? Faith indeed is the prerequisite. It's the, it's the opening of the door. But love is what it means to live in the house. That last image is one that I've always found helpful. It's a, it's a very biblical idea. Becoming a member of God's household. Here's something from the Psalms that's, I think, right on point here. I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. And it's the same image, isn't it? The psalmist is talking about the temple, undoubtedly there. I, through the abundance of your love, have access to your house. I get in the house. That's the primacy of grace. It's only through God's gracious initiative that we can enter His presence. But then, 
the Lord truly desires us to live in the house. And that means to walk the path of love. For love is the rule of that particular house. And so, here's the Catholic adage that answers sola fide, by faith alone. Catholics say instead, fides caritate perfecta. Faith perfected by love. That's it. Now, faith, mind you, comes first. I'm going to nod as vigorously toward Luther as the Council of Trent does. I'm going to acknowledge the, the full validity of what Luther saw. By the way, he's not that far from the Dominican spiritual tradition, which puts a huge stress on the primacy of grace, quite rightly. But I would add, from the Catholic perspective, caritate perfecta, a faith that's perfected now by love. And see, this helps to make sense of a whole slew of biblical texts that I think are harder to interpret on strict Lutheran lines. The same Paul that talked about justification by grace through faith says you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The same Paul said, if I have faith enough to move the mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. No one celebrated faith more than Paul did, and that's what Luther found. He found great inspiration in Paul, quite rightly. And I'm going to fully acknowledge that. But Paul said, if I have faith enough to move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. See, I think that's perfectly congruent with the great text from the letter of James we have today. A faith that does not express itself in love is thoroughly lifeless because you've opened the door to the house, but you haven't moved in. That's what stands, I think, behind the Catholic sensibility. Opening the door, yes, it happens through God's grace and our acceptance and faith. But now, under the influence of God's grace, live in the house according to the law of love. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.